Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Katrina McGee. Before we get to Katrina, I have some announcements. And one is the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there and you can see photos of our guests. You can see links to all their social media. You can see stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written. And uh, speaking of social media, you can see links to our social media as well. And that is, of course, Instagram. Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. Uh, Our Facebook page is on there as well. If you can uh, follow us on all those things, I would appreciate it. Also, there are links to iTunes and Stitcher Radio where you can subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, I ask always, please give us a good rating. That helps more people find the show because it boosts our presence, and that's a cool thing to do. And it costs you nothing. So give us likes, give us follows, give us good ratings. These are all the things I ask you in lieu of money. One day I might even ask you for money, but I haven't asked you in six years, so why would I start now? Could I be a worse businessman? Maybe not. I'm recording this in the cabin of my cruise ship, which is docked in Chiapas, Mexico. I uh, boarded the ship here on Holland America in Guatemala yesterday, met the ship, the Holland America Westerdam, which has been redone. I was on the ship last year, and uh, they redid some of the bars, and they kind of updated everything, and... Looks very nice. Got a bigger TV in the room, which was needed. And so they're uh, making some good moves. But the people, especially uh, a two-week cruise in the early November, early to mid-November, old. A lot of old folks. Usually old, but boy, oh boy, really old. So that will have to be dealt with when I perform my jokes tomorrow night. But also, uh, I'm going to see some different ports that I haven't been to. This is Chiapas which, uh, like I said before, the bottom of Mexico. It's a state way down there near the Guatemalan border that um, had some political unrest. Oftentimes they've tried to uh, secede from Mexico and things like that. And I did a little research on Chiapas before I got here. I was like, what is there to see? And there is stuff to see. There's jungles, there's waterfalls, there's Mayan ruins. The problem is they are far from the port. And when you are at the port and you're on a cruise ship and you have a limited amount of time in port, you gotta have, uh, you got to get up early if you really want to see the stuff here. And I did not do that. So suffice it to say, I, I, will, uh, I don't have a lot of travel tips on Chiapas, Mexico. But some of the things I saw in the photos, lovely. So how's that for some travel tips? Tomorrow we go to Huatulco, which I believe is in Oaxaca, Mexico. Then a day at sea, and then up to Puerto Vallarta, which is most what most people would know as a big uh, coastal cruise ship stop. And then it's on for a couple more nights to San Diego. So there's my week uh, entertaining people on the good ship Westerdam, but it gives me some time to edit some podcasts. And this one was with uh, Katrina McGee. You know, I've asked before on this show, and when I do these intros, that if you or you know someone that is interested in being a guest on the show, write me. And you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. 
and I will uh, put you on. If I think you have uh, something to say and you've got uh, some good stories, good travel tales, well then, by all means, let's do this. And this is a Skype interview that I did uh, a couple weeks ago, and I know I've said before that I prefer doing interviews face-to-face. It's always more intimate, and uh, I don't know, it's just easier to go back and forth, and it sounds better. But, you know, technology... It's catching up, but it's getting a little better. And if I'm going to interview more and more people and expand my reach beyond just who happens to be in uh, Los Angeles when I am or where I'm on the road, then there's going to be some more of these interviews. And I try to make it sound as good as I can. Haven't got too many complaints from you people, so I'm going to assume that you guys don't care as much as I do (laughs) about those subtle differences in sound quality. So anyway, Katrina McGee is a life coach which is fascinating to me uh, just as a profession because we have a lot of life coaches in uh, Hollywood. A lot of them are former actors and actresses that want to give advice after they've stopped working. (laughs) But Katrina really seems like the real deal. So Katrina McGee is someone who has a story that I'm seeing more and more of on this show, and that is someone who was uh, in the corporate world or working what we would call a quote-unquote regular job, and it was slowly killing them. They were not happy and decided they were going to drop it all and take off around the world. So Katrina did that, and it really changed her life. And it wasn't with a small amount of planning. She worked on reducing her debt. She saved. She had a goal, and she made it happen, which I say this all the time, that if you are determined to travel, you just got to make a goal. You save for it. There's a lot of things during your week that you don't have to spend money on that you can just put toward the adventure you want to take. You don't need to spend three, four dollars on coffee every day. Throw it in the cookie jar. That three, four dollars can buy you uh, a couple dinners in certain parts of the world. Heck, sometimes it can even buy you a, a place to sleep for the night. You never know. But Katrina was determined to turn her life around and she did it. And travel was one of the ways that she uh, changed her thinking. And it helped her push the reset button on her life and also change it in a new direction. Travel has a way of doing that. So Katrina reached out to me to share her story, and I was glad she did. She inspired me, and if she inspires you and you're interested in getting a little life coaching yourself, you can see links to her sites at our site at TravelTalesPodcast.com. And she also gives her information at the end of the interview. So please enjoy my conversation with Katrina McGee. Katrina McGee, where are you now? You're in Minneapolis? Yes, currently in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, is that where you're from? No, actually, um, I grew up in rural West Virginia and then traveled a lot of places since then. Yeah, I've been a lot of places, so, but that's where I started. Rural West Virginia. Now, that I've been to rural West Virginia, and that's rural. (laughs) It is pretty rural, yeah. I think the the closest airport... Um, that I still fly home into when I visit my family is about two and a half hours away, like big airport. So in Pittsburgh. So yeah, still kind of rural. Hill country. Is that coal mining country where you're from? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes. Wow. So how long before you knew that you, you wanted to get out? You know what? I think for me, I felt like I wanted to go other places and live other places probably from the time I was like nine or 10. So um, when I was a little kid, I had kind of had big dreams of seeing more of the world and kind of getting out and doing some things. So it's been a long time coming, I think. 
So when people ask you what you do, what is your standard answer? Is this a life coach, author, what is it? Currently, I'm actually working part-time in a corporate job as a market researcher, um, and that's going to be the case until February. So a lot of times in business, I sort of answer, I lead with that and then also say that I'm a life coach. But now that my notice has been given and it's official, I'm transitioning into telling people, yeah, I'm a life coach. That's kind of what I'm going to start leading with now. Okay, now tell me, help me out with this life coach thing because LA and Hollywood, where uh, where I am, is loaded with life coaches. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so, how does one become a life coach? What are the requirements, and what did you do to get to this place? Yeah, so it's kind of like the wild, wild west out there. There actually is no sort of regimented um, process that you have to follow to become a life coach. There are actually people that practice life coaching that aren't certified in any way, shape or form. They've just decided they've read a self-help book and they want to be a life coach. So you can, you can do that. Yeah, I, I think we got a lot it, of that. You can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I took a different route. Um, I actually, so I started out uh, by having a life coach is kind of how I kind of started figuring out this is what I wanted to do and um, what I really like super passionate about. But I had a life coach for about 14 months, kind of went off, did some things, came back. And then when I decided to get serious about it, I um, I took a class. So I actually did a six month program to get certified. And so at the end of that, you sort of have an exam of sorts where you tape um, sessions and then the instructor sort of listens back for certain things that you're being tested on and then you pass or fail and keep going. So yeah, so I did my certification program to be kind of official and to make sure I had a good understanding of at least like the basic concepts and the foundation before I started practicing. Well, what made you get to the place that you you sought a life coach out? What what, what yeah. was happening? <laughs> so I was working a corporate job. I had just I'd finished my MBA and gone on to work um, at a company that many people would be very, very grateful to have a job with. And I was very grateful, but it just was not a good fit for me. And I'd been there for about eight months and I thought it was going to get better. I thought it was a learning curve. I thought it was just that it was new. And like eight months into it, when I was still sort of, you know, crying sometimes in my car on the way home, I realized like there has to be there's something else out there for me, but I just had no idea what it was. And everybody I knew it felt like was doing something corporate. And so I felt stuck. I felt lost. And I basically just didn't feel like there was anybody that could model for me what a different version of success looked like. And so I knew I needed help. Um, I kind of thought of a life coach, but how do you go about finding a life coach that's a good life coach and that you can sort of trust to guide you on your path? Um, but then one day sort of fortuitously somebody that worked across the aisle from me, we were having a really serious sort of open discussion about, you know, what we wanted from our lives. And I was just explaining how I felt like I wanted more, but I didn't know how to find it. And she had a very good friend that was a life coach that came highly recommended. And so she basically said, here's her info. If you're interested, contact her. And I was like, okay, I feel like the universe is giving me a sign here. So I reached out to her, met with her, really liked her. And basically after that, I was sold. Was this the catalyst to make you quit your job and hit the road and go travel? I Yeah, that was that was like the biggest catalyst. I think, um, you know, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but probably like a year and a half before that, I had read Elizabeth Gilbert's um, <laughs> Eat, Pray, Love. And it kind of, I know, I know, but it planted seeds. I don't think I'd ever really thought about planning out like a year long sort of sabbatical from from life in that way. And so she kind of blew my mind but I couldn't do it while I was in business school, obviously, or else I didn't think I could. And so um, I think she planted seeds, but having a life coach was definitely the biggest part of me realizing like, 
this is what I want. I can do it. This is how I'm going to do it. So yeah. So give me the uh, time frame on that. What year was this that you uh, dropped everything and hit the road? And how long did yeah, you go for? August. So August of 2013 is when I dropped everything. I kind of knew early in 2012 that I wanted to, but I needed to save the money. So once I knew what I wanted to do, I was like, crap, this is going to cost like $40,000 to do it the way that I want to do it. So I set up a budget and I saved $40,000 in 18 months. And then August of 2013 is when I had the money. And that's when I basically like set out. And the first order of business was to take a three month road trip through the US and kind of see some new stuff. How did you come up with 40,000 as a number? And what countries were you looking for? (laughs) So my background is that I actually started out um, in my professional life as an actuary. So all up in the spreadsheets. And I'm a math nerd. So I love numbers. I love playing with things and spreadsheets. And so for me, it was like, have a lot of fun daydreaming about what the ultimate sort of year off would look like, and then figure out how much it would cost to do that. And so I just started brain dumping like everything that sounded amazing. Taking a road trip sounded amazing because I'd never seen the Grand Canyon. I'd never driven up the California coast. Like there was so much I hadn't done. And I wanted to go home and spend some time with my family. And then I wanted to travel around the world. And I knew I had this weird obsession with spending some time in Buenos Aires. I knew I wanted to go back to Spain. Um, Barcelona is like a place I love dearly. And I wanted to kind of go back. Um, I wanted to go someplace new. So I ended up thinking Southeast Asia sounded like a good sort of new place to go. And then I knew when I came back, I wanted some time to really like sit with everything and give myself the space to figure out what was going to come next. And so when I basically estimated what I thought that would cost. My best guess was about $40,000. Wow. For a year and a half, basically. Or- yeah. Well, so I thought for a year, but then I got, I was so good at that point at like living on a budget and managing my money that a few months in, I realized I'd way overestimated. And so I just traveled and hung out until the money ran out. And that ended up being 20 months instead of 12. Yeah, we forget when we're making a budget. And I, I tell a lot of people this, one of the common misconceptions that I always try to uh, correct on this show is that travel is not as expensive as people think it is, especially foreign travel. And if you're going to go to a place like Southeast Asia, then really it's not going to be, you know, we, we compare everything like every hotel and everything, every meal to American prices. And it's really not, you know, we're eating a whole meal for two, three dollars in in, yeah. in Vietnam. You know, it's, it's, that saves a lot of money. It's so true. It's so true. I think I traveled I traveled through Southeast Asia for about three and a half, almost four months. And I think I spent for everything, I think I spent close to $5,000. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So were you, I don't want to ask your age, but I mean, you were still in your 20s when you did all this, right? No, actually. So I'm 38 right now. And I was, so let's see, 2013, four years ago. So I was probably 34 when I actually did it, maybe 32-ish when I decided I wanted to do it. But yeah, I did it. I did this at 34. So definitely sort of, you know, hedging towards midlife so, um, when I took this big, big <clears throat> break. Yeah. So you were passing the uh, youth hostel stage? <laughs> yes, I did. Although I will say, holy cow, Southeast Asia has some of the nicest, mind-blowingly like extravagant hostels I've ever seen. Um, I mean, there's still hostels, but like I couldn't even believe how nice and private and quiet and clean and just like really beautiful they were. Um, but I definitely didn't do like the youth hostel scene. It was a mix of Airbnb, guest housing, um, especially like in Vietnam where that was really popular. And then, um, of course, hostels and such. So it just depended on what country I was in as to like what sort of offered 
you know, like safety as a solo female traveler was important. So it was kind of like that mix of what feels safe, what feels reasonable and affordable, and also like what feels comfortable and fun. So, yeah. How close to your plan did you stick or did it kind of like end up getting blown up and you just kind of went with it after a while? I stuck pretty close to it. I would say after the road trip, the road trip was pretty, pretty point, like pretty on point. So that went pretty much as planned. And then um, my mom actually got sick, which was not expected. And she had to have her gallbladder removed. And the recovery from that for her was kind of a longer period. So I did not expect that. That kind of changed things a little bit as far as when I left to go abroad. But once I went abroad, um, the beginning of that went pretty much as planned. I started out in South America and then flew to Europe. And I'd been there for probably like two months. And I was just landing in Italy, so excited to go finally see Italy, this place I've wanted to see forever. And my mom actually was sent back to the ER twice within like two days. And so I had to drop everything and kind of go home and help her. And so that was like maybe six weeks that I was home that I wasn't expecting. And then it didn't really make sense to go back to Europe. So then I just kind of... um, cut that part out and flew to Southeast Asia. And that part was very fluid. I knew I wanted to be there. I had a rough idea of how long, but I didn't really plan that part of the trip out. So that part was awesome um, and lasted about as long as I thought. And then I came back and sort of gave myself enough time to figure things out. But that part, I wasn't sure how much money I would have when I came back, but I ended up having enough to be unemployed, happily unemployed for about four and a half months before I needed to find a job. Wow. Okay. What were the things that you look back on that you really, really, really didn't expect? What was the biggest surprise for you? You know, actually, Vietnam as a country was a huge surprise for me. And so the crazy thing was, I actually wasn't sure I was going to go. Like I said, my plans for Southeast Asia were really fluid. I knew where I was flying into. I knew I was going to do a yoga certification there. But then other than that, I had no idea what was going to happen and kind of where I was going to go. And I kind of decided at the last minute to go to Vietnam after thinking and hedging and sort of saying, well, some people in the travel blog world hated it and some people loved it. And I don't know. And is it safe? And will I feel comfortable there? But I'm obsessed with food. And in the end, food won. And I was like, I can't not be near Vietnam and go like go eat there. And it it totally surprised me. It blew my mind. It was not only like super, super affordable, like even compared to Thailand, super affordable. It's really cheap. It's really cheap. And the food was amazing. The scenery was beautiful. I don't think I knew quite how geologically diverse it was. The people were so mind-blowingly kind. I think um, that kind of caught me off guard, too. And one thing I noticed was um, in Vietnam, they seem very, like, self-sufficient as far as their business goes. And, you know, like, yeah, they're going to, you know, like, charge you the, the foreigner tax to do things. But I never really felt like they were really, like, desperate for my money. And so it was just, like, I kind of felt like I could just interact with them in a normal way. And if I wanted to do something or buy something, I could. And if I didn't want to, I didn't have to. But I felt like they were just going about life sort of the way that it is. Like it didn't feel as heavily touristed, even though there were lots of tourists. It just didn't feel like they were catering as heavily to the tourists. So it was really cool to feel like I was in this place where I could kind of see what their life is like and what their country is like and kind of really learn more about it instead of maybe a westernized version of their country, which I definitely, Thailand's beautiful, the food's amazing, but the places I went to, um, you know, like Chiang Mai and Bangkok and Koh Samui, like I definitely felt like 
were heavily geared towards, you know, tourists and maybe what more Western tourists would expect. So Vietnam in many ways kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Did you go down the uh, whole country or did you just go up to Hanoi and then Ha Long Bay and then down to Saigon? So I started because of the weather. I started in Hanoi. I went Ha Long Bay and then I went down to Hue and then I went to Hue An and then I went to the mountain town De Lat. Um, and then after De Lat, I ended up in, in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh. Oh, great. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. There. It's, uh, I've, I've been there a couple of times, but I, uh, I would always go back. Me too. I actually went back uh, like two years ago to um, Hoi An and it was like, I just, I love Vietnam. It's great. Did you actually do the total eat, pray, love thing and go to Ubud, Bali? <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> I, know, another white, I know. Another lady with a, uh, another American lady with a yoga mat walking around. Yeah, was I was, I was, another, I was another American lady with a yoga mat walking around. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I did my yoga certification there. So um, I was in some remote sort of like area, but I did go to Ubud for probably like four or five days. And, you know, it's very expat friendly, but I, I really liked it. It's That's cheesy, nice. but it's cheesy to say, but I really liked it. It was nice. Yeah. Get the monkeys climbing on you. Oh my God. I did not go to the, I did not want any part of the monkeys climbing on me. I did not <laughs> do <the> forest. <laughs> I did not do that. Did you get to any of the islands around uh, Bali? No, it was a failed attempt to um, to make it to the Gili Islands. They they I bought the thirty day. I don't know if it's technically a visa, but it was like I had a pass for thirty days, and because the yoga thing was um, just over three weeks, oh. I had a, a finite amount of time. And I right as I was like figuring out how to get to the Gili Islands, it just became clear I would have to leave the the country before I could really make that trip work. So I didn't get to go. Were there any places that were a little disappointing in your eyes that you, or maybe you expect a little bit more? You know, um, when I traveled to France, I love, like I said, I love food and I, I love that France loves food. Like I love how much they love food. Mm-hmm. And I thought that trip was going to be so amazing. I don't speak fluent French or anything, but I definitely have learned some vocabulary when it comes to food and know kind of what I'm ordering. And I also have um, a gluten allergy, which really kind of sometimes sucks oh, no. for travel. I know, I know. No and that's why Vietnam was amazing. I know, no pasta. No pasta in, in Italy? Italy? I know. Well, in Italy, they're actually super, super celiac friendly. So I lucked out there. Um, and it was actually one of the easiest places to eat because they're very aware of it. But in France, not the case. And so I thought, you know, knowing kind of how to say no gluten and kind of knowing like words for what things were, I would be okay. And man, like I started in... I think my first stop was in Bordeaux and Bordeaux was okay. But then after Bordeaux, I went to Montpellier and I was like really screwed. I, I almost thought about just going home. I was having such a tough time. Like I would order something that sounded like meat and it would come in a gravy sauce or I would order creme brulee and like they would stick biscotti like right down the middle of it. And I was just like, why is this so hard to eat? And I was so, I was distraught. I was like, this sucks. I want to go home. I don't know what to do. And, um, I ended up deciding I was going to leave, but I had booked, I forgot I had booked an Airbnb in um, Provence and Avignon for like a week. And it was so much money to lose because I couldn't cancel it at the time. Um, And I decided I was going to go for a day. And if I hated it, I was allowed to cut bait and go somewhere else. And maybe I would love it. And I actually went to Avignon and I fell in love with it. I did a food tour there um, the second day. And I told the lady all about my allergy. And so she pointed me out to like, 
10 restaurants I could eat at. She showed me like there was a lady at a market making gluten-free muffins, which what? And so, um, huh. it made all the difference and it was really magical. And I ended up staying even an extra week cause I had such an amazing time, but I think I thought I was going to love like all of my experience in France. And the first half was really hard. Gravy falls under the gluten. Yeah. They thicken it with flour. Oh, flour. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It oh, kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Difficult. That's difficult. Mm-hmm. So, so all the noodles, all the noodles in Asia, you can't have. So Vietnam is so amazing. This is part of why it was so amazing for me, but it's like all rice, right? Like rice noodles, rice right. pancakes, like rice, rice. So I could eat pretty much everything there. In Thailand, it was like half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Singapore, I couldn't really eat much. In Malaysia, I couldn't eat much because they get much more into like the wheat and the mixing of the rice and the wheat. But yeah, in Vietnam, I was lucky and Thailand wasn't too bad either. So after you go Southeast Asia and Mm -hmm. you went to Europe, you made it to Italy, Mm -hmm. France, and where else did you go? Spain. So I studied abroad my last semester of my MBA program. So I'd lived in Barcelona for four months and had this epic magical time. Yeah. It was like, I was like, is this my real life? I felt like I was living in in like a novel or something because I was a student, but like not really. I mean, it was, you know, it was classes, but it was not demanding. And so I had all this free time with all these other students from all over the world to just like go hang out and enjoy Spain. It was crazy. And so I traveled abroad a lot, sort of within Western Europe during that time, just because I had the time to do it. So when I went back this time, I wanted to see more of Spain, Italy and France. So I did that. Okay. So uh, give us some highlights and places you recommend that maybe that aren't on the most people's radar. Yeah. Well, so do you want that for just Europe or like anywhere? Well, let's say uh, Spain. Okay. So Spain, um, San Sebastian was so amazing. Oh, I was just in, I was just around there, but I didn't make it there. I've just, oh, did, God. I did the <laughs> south so of great. Spain. I've done Barcelona. I've done Madrid. And yeah. I just, uh, yeah. It's so, it's so amazing. And I love Spain and I do speak some Spanish, but, um, I just really loved it there. Like it was, the weather wasn't amazing when I went. Like I feel like they have a very short window of time where it's like gloriously sunny. But I heard that. So yeah, but it's so beautiful and it's on the water and the food is amazing and they have a, just a really interesting culture. And you know, with the Basque influence, you can't really see that other places. And it was kind of new to me, but I really loved it and I hope to someday go back. Um, so I would definitely say that place was amazing. And then obviously I fell in love with Avignon, but, um, if you want even sort of more off the beaten path, I did, um, you know, some day trips while I was there and I spent a night in Arles, which was really cute. Like it's smaller, um, but same sort of, you know, provincial vibe. And it was just really cool. And I did an Airbnb and the woman I stayed with was super nice. Um, so I really, really love that. Where was that again? Arles. How do you? Arles. A-R-L-E-S. A-R-L-E-S. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was really awesome. Um, and then I think you've actually been to one in Italy, which I didn't get to experience during my um, career break, obviously, because my mom got sick, but I did just go there in May and that's Bologna. So oh, yeah, I was just there. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to Bologna in May and like, oh, I just loved it. We stayed that's actually, good food. it is some good, <laughs> it is some really good food. Agreed, 100%. And we went to some hill towns nearby um, mm-hmm. and stayed in a castle kind of hotel thing. And that was really great. And then driving through Modena and all of that, like it was just really, 
I really loved it. And it's a little bit more off the beaten path. So you get to see kind of a different side of Italy that you won't see if you're just in Rome and Venice and yeah. Florence and stuff like that. So I really liked it. So you said you were a big fan of Buenos Aires, which I am too. But so you went back, you said. So what was the first time you went? Oh, so I've only been there once. So Barcelona, oh. I went back to But Buenos Aires, I had had this like sort of like festering desire. I don't know where it started from, but I just really wanted to see it. And I had this thought that like, I wanted to see it in a big way. And I wanted to kind of just live there, right? Like be kind of like a local and not be there for like a week, but be there for like a month and just take my time kind of going through the city. So that's what I did when I was there. Oh, fun. Did you learn to tango? I did. You know what? I did not. I went to a few tangos, but I never took tango lessons. So I've seen (laughs) some tango, but I haven't tangoed. Were you like me? Did you get tired of steak after a while? Yes, I did. I really was craving some serious vegetables. By the time I left, steak, potatoes, yeah, steak, oh so gosh. much steak. Every uh-huh. my own problem with Buenos Aires was like every almost every restaurant had the same menu. It was I know, ste- true. steak, empanadas, and pizza. And it's like, yeah. oh my god! After a while, I just like <laughs> I broke down after about a week and a half and tried. I was like, I got to get. So I found a Japanese restaurant, and uh, ooh, I don't recommend it. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, also because yeah. living in LA, I'm spoiled with any, any, with all good Asian food here. And then you get it in some place like that. And it's like, oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. We were like totally obsessed. So my, my boyfriend actually came down and visited me for a few weeks while I was in Buenos Aires. And we, like, we had to mix it up, right? So there was a restaurant. I don't think it was vegetarian, but it was super, super veggie forward. It was called like Herba Buena or something like that, like Good right. Herb. And, um, we did that. And so there was an Asian restaurant. Um, I can't remember. I think Sud as in South is part of the word, but it blew our minds. It was amazing, but it was like really highly recommended. And it was in the neighborhood we were staying, but like we had to actively go out and seek sort of other cultural influenced foods to break up all of the steak. Cause it was definitely like you said, pizza and steak over and over again. Were you in the Hollywood neighborhood? We were like sort of near Recoleta, sort of near, um, I think it's Palermo, but like it was, it was more residential than, um, cause we were staying in an Airbnb apartment. It was a little bit more oh, okay. residential. But yeah. It was like right next to all that stuff. Oh, great. Yeah. I love it down there. Mm-hmm. So after, uh, you do this for 20 months, was it? Yeah. 20 months. After all this, you come home and now you got to start life over again. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, where do you go? Is that when you decided to become a life coach? Well, no. So I, when I came back, I was hoping all along, I think secretly that I was going to have this huge epiphany while I was traveling around the world. And suddenly like my whole entire life was going to make sense. I was going to have all the answers divinely delivered to me. Yeah, and it I was keep, like, well, uh, I keep looking for that. I keep looking for that one. It doesn't really happen as, as often as you really want happen it. Like that. Yeah. It doesn't really, it didn't really happen like that for me. Um, so when I came back, the one thing I know about myself is that sometimes I like to worry. So I, I very intentionally padded my time where I had some money when I came back and could be unemployed and not freak out. And I knew kind of like when I was traveling, I didn't have to like have all the answers because I had a specific amount of time, like sort of waiting for me to come back and figure things out. And so when I came back, I had, I had some clarity, but like it wasn't this divine, super clear. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. Um, clarity and so I started just taking community ed classes. I started doing things that I found enjoyable, like cooking random recipes I would find online, making 
chai tea, like from scratch with like spices in the kitchen. Like I was just really trying to like explore and connect to passion and interest in things. And what I, what I realized is that man, this life coaching thing, it would be a great time to go really try to do this. But I still had $42,000 in student loan debt from my business school years. And there was a part of me that felt like I just want to get that off my back. I want that monkey off my back. I want to be free of that. I want to be debt free. And then I can go like do all the things I want to do and not have to worry about is this salary going to cover my rent, my food and my student loans. So um, in the end, it was really hard. But I decided that my debt was my number one priority. So I decided to go back into corporate, back into market research. But this time I was going to try to find something that was a better fit for what I was passionate about. And I got really lucky. Like I, you know, I have a good background. I interview well, but I was really serious about what I wanted to do. And once I got clear on that, like I just went for it. I wrote amazing cover letters, like explained my break in a really exciting way. And I ended up with five job offers in five weeks after I got serious about it and updated my resume. And then I ended up taking a job out in Boulder, Colorado that was focused on the natural food industry. So that was kind of my first sort of like jumping back in, but I'm super passionate about that industry. So I felt like that would sort of become my balance between making enough money to, to pay down my student loans as fast as possible, but also kind of enjoying what I was doing even more than before. So you left on this trip with, with $42,000 of student loan debt. I did, yes. See, now most life coaches would tell you, or financial coaches would say, that money you saved for the trip could have paid off your student loan debt. Absolutely. It could have. It It literally was almost one for one. And then the trip would come second, but you put the trip first. I did. You know, life is not guaranteed. And I'll tell you, um, so it was about two weeks, like this is really tragic, but two weeks before I took my career break. So I knew way in advance I was taking it. I gave eight months notice at my job. I had been planning for it and planning for it and planning for it. And two weeks before it was actually time to leave. My younger brother, who is like the person I love most in this world, unexpectedly passed away. Oh, and no, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I know. It was it was incredibly hard. It was so hard. But like even before that, I knew. But it was like that event just really solidified for me. Like nothing is guaranteed. So if I feel like I'm crying on the way home from work because I'm unhappy, I feel trapped in my life, nothing is changing, only I really have the power to change it. It's like why wouldn't I do the thing that I really want to do? Because it's not promised that I'm going to have all this extra time after I pay off my student loans to do the things I wanted to do. I could, you know, become like disabled and it could be really hard to travel or I could just, you know, pass away or all these things could happen. And so for me, you know, his passing was super traumatic in many ways, but it was also kind of reaffirming of like, I'm doing what I have to do because nothing is guaranteed. And so I think as a life coach, right? Like, you have to balance, like everybody has the answers inside of them. I'm not giving them answers that they don't already have, but sometimes you suppress, ignore, kind of deny what you know to be true for yourself. And I think that's the thing, right? Like if if you feel stuck and your life sucks, you have the power to change it. And so if this is what it takes, like sometimes you have to take risk, like safe doesn't always get you to where you really want to be. And so, um, you know, I did both, right? Like I did the trip, It inspired me. I ended up finding an even better job when I came back. I learned all the stuff about budgeting because I was so serious about saving for my trip. And I paid off the last $42,000 22 months later. So as of February of this year, I'm now debt free. And so it's like, who really, you know, like I kind of won, right? Because I got to do both. And 
that thing when I really needed to do it. So that's great. No, I always say uh, my dad always told me that because he tried. You know, he waited his whole life. He thought he could travel and see the world when he retired, and then his uh, body gave out. You know, and then he uh, was dead at sixty-seven. So, wow. Um, he always encouraged me to go because I think he knew. You know, it, it's hard. You know, and traveling the way we do, just kind of like, you know, going around like that and sleeping in strange mattresses and and, yeah. and sitting no, in cramped buses and planes and everything. It's hard. It's it's physically yeah, eating street food. Difficult. Like there were times, you know, like that was hard too. Like I yeah. sometimes did get, you know, but it's just harder on your body. Yeah. You know, you think you, you think you have a limited diet now. Wait till you're seventy. Right. right. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I always tell people if you can do it, do it now. And and you seem to have you know you've you've paid it off anyway. So all is good. And you never know who you might meet that could change your life in a different way or a place you go that you'd say, you know what, I'm going to live here now. Yeah, and to be inspired, right? Like the things that you see and do and eat and learn, like they they like grow roots within you know within you and it's kind of like they inspire you to think differently to have a new perspective to feel more confident in yourself and also like to just kind of expand your perspective on the world and it's like that just continues to influence you in many ways that you would never have have ever experienced if you hadn't done those things so when's the next trip and where is it where is it going to be yeah so that is a great question. Currently, I am um, hoarding some American Express rewards points. Yeah, there you so, go. Now, I've done yeah. a lot of uh, credit card uh, churning, yeah. point, point yeah. grabbing. Point grabbing, exactly. So I have probably like close to 200000 And I before the end of the year, I want to book a, a ticket for next year. And so I'm considering like, I think bigger, further things. So maybe Japan, maybe Australia. Um, if not those, then maybe South Africa, but someplace I haven't been that's kind of far away, kind of a big trip because I'm officially like transitioning out of my corporate job, um, as of February 16th. And knowing that I feel like, you know, then the world's kind of open to me again and I don't have a finite amount of vacation time and I don't have kind of the constraints that typically you have when you're in a corporate job. And so I feel like that's a great time for me to kind of use those miles to go do something new and fun and kind of far away that you can't, you know, that you could just, it's hard to do when you have like two or three weeks of vacation each year. Right. And also I'm, I'm assuming you don't have children. So that, that probably yeah, right. I don't. rules yes. that out. <laughs> that makes it, yeah. yeah. That makes it easy for you, yeah. Uh, it doesn't get easier as you get older. In anything, yeah. you know, to take off. So, um, absolutely, that's well, that's awesome. Once you get to these places, and so say, say you would it be that long, another twenty monther, or just like kind of a quick one? It would be kind of a quick one. I think probably like a three week, maybe maybe four week trip, depending on where I end up going. I am so excited to really fully go um, go all in on my life coaching business. And so that's something I'm excited to come back for. It's not like I want to be gone for a really long time. I just really want to take advantage of this transition and go see something new and kind of be inspired by it. But then I'm excited to come back and really start, you know, building up my business even further and really make that a thing. Well, as of February in Minneapolis, I think you're going to be looking to get out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. I'm looking out my window right now and I'm not joking. It is snowing and it is sticking. And oh I'm pretty God. sure that there's Already? probably an inch and a half to two inches on the ground. Yes. Oh, no. I, I know. I'm from Chicago. So, I mean, I used to work. I spent yeah. the coldest and I growing up in Chicago. I know cold weather, but I spent the coldest week of my life in Minneapolis. 
I was there working is like the second week in January, and I was oh. working at the uh, Acme Comedy Club down in you know in the yeah, warehouse district. Yeah, down in Newport. Yeah, the warehouse North Loop area. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I and uh, it was so cold. Our car froze over. My car froze over like twice that oh. week, and I had planned it that my first trip to Australia, I was leaving the week after that. So there was no better way to get on that plane after a week. And you go down yes. to Australia, it's summer there. So I get down, it's blazing hot. And I was like, oh, my God. I had just had to, the first week I just had to thaw. I know. I absolutely believe that 100%. I'm not a cold weather person. I lived for eight years in Atlanta, and that was much more my weather speed. So, um, yeah, this is all like I kind of hibernate in the winter. Well, maybe you could be a snowbird. Maybe you can do half and half somewhere. Maybe, or maybe I could just leave Minnesota. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. I yeah. guess life coaching is something you could take on the road. Yeah, it is. I actually do most of my clients, I think all except for one, I do um, over video chat or over the phone. So right now my business is very portable. So I'm planning to take advantage of that. Can you, so are you plan on working while you're doing this next trip? Um, no, I think I want to take a break. So I mean, it won't be like, I absolutely won't do any work, but I'm not planning on looking for... Um, clients at that time. And I'm kind of going to take a pause from that. I might do some business building things, but, um, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to make it a vacation and really go like amp up on the creativity and inspiration before I come back and kind of make it official. Well, that's great. I mean, as what's the difference between a life coach and a therapist? Yeah. Well, obviously, um, like I said before the training, right? right? So life coaching can be a whole spectrum of that. And therapy is a very regimented, um, you know, a very regimented process as far as becoming a therapist. But I think in general, therapists do amazing work for people that are um, kind of stuck in dealing with how their past sort of relates to their current life. And so I'm speaking very broadly, but you know, a lot of times in therapy, the focus is on making sense of the story. And so you're revisiting things and you're kind of going back and like putting pieces together and sort of understanding yourself and how you came to be, um, who you are like better so that you can make sense of it and sort of think about patterns and things you want to change going forward. And I feel like with life coaching, it really is about, it is much more about like what it is that you want. So it's much, I, in my opinion, it's much more forward focused. So for sure things in the past do come up. But it's really about like believing people have the answers inside of them, but a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of shoulds, a lot of reasons why it feels impossible. And so it's really about unlocking for the person what it is that they need to unlock to, you know, like, for example, let go of a painful relationship situation or just um, a cycle in general or let go of a job that's not serving them or even the idea that they need a corporate job, period, if that's not who they are. And, and, you know, those are just two examples, but I feel like it's, it's really about forward looking and helping you get, create like the life that you want. Right. So, well, here's my problem. <laughs> here's why I, I would make a bad life coach okay. because, <laughs> because all my, all my advice would be travel. Hey, take a trip, clear your head, take a trip. You know what, you know what you need travel. And after the fifth time I recommended it, they'd be like, okay, we get it. Travel. We get it. Travel. Yeah. Well, I mean, but do you use that honestly as part of your, I mean, that could be an effective thing for most, some people just need to get the hell out even as for like a few days, you know, just step out of yourself for a little bit. I believe that travel. Yeah. I believe travel is an amazing tool. I don't think it fits for everyone because some people people aren't passionate about it. No, they don't want to get out of their, some people need their comfort zone and they need routine or else they 
flip the hell out. <laughs> well, sometimes it's baby steps, right? Like the thing too, is you have to meet people where they are. So if you come in and tell somebody that hasn't really even traveled anywhere further than three hours by car, that they need oh, to like yeah. drop everything and go to China. But if you start letting them see in different ways, how little things in their normal day to day life are possible, like you can build up their confidence and their courage and sort of their expand their mind to be like, wow, I can do so much. And I think travel is amazing simply for the fact that it puts you in a completely different situation and it helps break down much faster. Like all of these preconceived notions you have about the way things have to be because everybody does it so differently. But for some people, it's such a, you know, it's such a big thing. And for other people, it's just not as motivating. I love it. I'm passionate about it. I could, I just enjoy it so much. But some people, you know, it's just like they could travel, but they're like, oh, I just kind of like to lay on a beach and relax, you know? Yeah, no, I get so, it. I got friends that could go with me a lot of places and they're just, uh, they're not interested. And I can't, yeah. if they don't have the curiosity, I can't yeah. put them in. People are like, why don't you go with him? He's like, because he'd be awful to travel with because he'd be bored. <laughs> And I can't, I can't make somebody interested in something they're not interested in, you know? So it's, I'm not going to fight it anymore. So I just yeah, let them go. I'll just go by myself. You know, it's a lot easier. Right, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes, yeah, you're right. Baby steps, I'll tell people, you know what? Go to the one state over for a little yeah. for a weekend and see what that, you know, where do you want to go that's close by? Well, I've never been to that place. Well, you know what? Get in the car and go. It's not, you know, it doesn't have to be difficult. But, it can be amazing. Yeah. yeah. To discover things in your own backyard. Absolutely. But other people hate it. You know, I wish there's a part of me that wishes I was more comfortable staying still. I don't, and why is that? I don't know. Uh, I think sometimes I, I fall on travel maybe as a way of like, I don't know, running away from things or escaping or maybe not dealing with something that needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Probably stuff like that. But you know what I mean? It I can, do. It can also do. be a crutch. Yeah, I think. And that's the point, right? Like, that's kind of the thing is like, life can be you can have phases in life where travel could be exactly what you need. And then at some point, you could graduate onto something else. And if if travel is still like the thing, it could become a crutch, right? But it's just like you evolve and like what you need evolves. And so being like, totally connected to yourself and realizing like, if it is something that you're escaping, like, what is it that you're escaping? And why? Because sometimes it's like, that's effing scary. And other times it's just like, nope, you know what? Like I, I really am just figuring things out and this is like giving me some inspiration, but I feel like it's always awesome to check in with yourself and to just kind of know. Cause I think as we evolve and change, like what we need evolves and changes. And so it's always good to question stuff. I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. And I, I try to live that. So, well, sometimes America and I just need a little break. I know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair. In, the, in the last year or so, I really need Yeah. One. Yeah. Well, I respect that. <laughs> So, okay, what's next for you? And uh, also, where do you see your business going? And if you want to give any plugs or anything like that right now, this is a good time to do it. For me, my business um, is going to be coming, going to be becoming a full-time thing, which I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about putting together a course for people that's really accessible um, that they can use to kind of affect really awesome, meaningful change in their own lives, even if they don't work with me in a one-on-one -on -one setting. So hoping to release that sometime early next year. Very excited. And if anybody wants to check out more of what I do, what I'm about, more of my story, they can check out my website, which is kmcgeecoaching.com. Um, and I also have some free gifts on there for people that want to do big travel, but haven't. And are kind of like, how the hell do I make this possible? And also for people that want to take a career break and are like, that seems crazy but I'm interested. So that's great. I mean, you also have a uh, website for your trip all about your trip, right? Isn't the remote life or 
Oh yeah. So that's not my website, but yeah, they featured a story on my sabbatical and kind of covered, you know, what I did and kind of explain more of the story about what I was doing on that trip. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That w- we'll have links to all this stuff on, uh, on our page as well. And uh, well, yeah, it, was, it was great. I'm glad you could do this. Me too. Thank you for having me on your show. I love that you're dedicating your time to having a podcast to inspire people to go out and do crazy things like travel around the world. I love it. Oh, and one last uh, tip for any uh, gluten-free travelers out there. <laughs> Here's my tip. Italy is amazing. And if you want to go somewhere and not worry... Just learn how to say no gluten and I'm a celiac and they will totally have you covered and you will have amazing pizza, amazing pasta, amazing pastries. You just have to know where to go, but they totally have your back. Oh, that's good advice. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Katrina. It was was great to uh, meet you over the internet. Yeah, it was great to meet you, Mike. (laughs) Katrina McGee, everybody. (laughs) 